Hi folks, it's Rob from the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. For a few years, I wrote, produced, and hosted a podcast called When You Hear This Sound, a show about the weird and wonderful world of read-along record books and storybook vinyl. As my life got more and more hectic, the episodes became fewer and farther between, until finally I stopped production in April of 2016. I've decided to include these old episodes as part of the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop, not only because I'm pretty proud of them, but because I would like to occasionally put out new When You Hear This Sound episodes under the Audio Workshop banner. I still have well over 100 read-along record books in my collection, and there are a few whose story behind the story would be well worth telling. As you listen to these old episodes, please note that the show notes will not be as extensive as they originally were. The websites where the podcast was hosted are long gone, as are the original show notes. So if you want to know more about something I mentioned in the episode, check the Audio Workshop's website, spacemonkeyx.net, but you may need to do a little Googling on your own. However, if there is a book included with the record, you will be able to find scans of it at the website. So please enjoy this archived episode of When You Hear This Sound, and be sure to look for new ventures into vinyl here at the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop in the future. Hello, boys and girls. I'm your Peter Pan storyteller. This is the story of the last starfighter. This is the story of gremlins. This is the story of Tron. This is the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is the story of the Empire Strikes Back. You can read along with me in your book. You can follow the story along with me. Every time you hear this sound. Every time you hear this sound. Turn the pages when you hear this sound. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the computer sound like this. Let's, let's begin, let's begin now. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of When You Hear the Sound, I'm your host Rob Lamley. Thanks to advancements in digital special effects, completely computer-generated characters interacting with physical actors has become fairly commonplace in big-budget Hollywood films. But that wasn't the case in 1988, when Who Framed Roger Rabbit burst onto the big screen. Although the mix of live-action and animation had been done before with films like Disney's Song of the South and Mary Poppins, it had never been seen on such a large scale and in such a fully realized fashion. Although the film proved to be a huge hit, getting it produced was a huge risk that was years in the making. The film began life as Who Censored Roger Rabbit, a 1981 novel by science fiction writer Gary K. Wolfe. However, aside from some of the key characters and the basic concept of a world where cartoons and humans coexist, the two properties couldn't be more different. For example, in the book, the cartoon characters are not the stars of hilarious animated shorts like those shown during the Saturday matinees in the 1930s and 40s. Instead, they're drawings who pose for photos that are then printed in newspapers as comic strips, like Peanuts, Dick Tracy, and Crazy Cat. Staying true to their medium, the cartoon characters don't speak verbally, but instead, anything they say appears floating above their head as a word balloon that dissipates after a few seconds. In addition, the story of the book differs quite a bit, most notably that, spoiler alert, Roger is killed within the first few chapters. But luckily, Toons have the ability to create temporary doppelgangers that act as stunt doubles, Normally, the double disappears after a few minutes, but Rogers is able to hold on for a few days while he and Private Dick Eddie Valiant try to solve his own murder. After the success of the film, Wolf wrote a couple of follow-up novels, 1991's Who P-P-P-Plugged Roger Rabbit and Who Whacked Roger Rabbit in 2014. 
The books are neither direct sequels nor prequels, but instead exist somewhere outside of continuity, borrowing liberally from the film's depictions of the characters, but also maintaining the rules of the world in the original novel, like the comic strip cartoon format. The film rights for Who Censored Roger Rabbit were purchased by Disney Studios in 1981, shortly after director Robert Zemeckis approached the studio about handling the film, but his two previous films, I Want to Hold Your Hand and Used Cars, were not very successful, so Disney passed. Instead, they opted to take the next few years to work with animation director Daryl Van Kidders, who figured out the technical details of mixing man and animation. By 1983, Disney had a solid script, good character designs, and even test footage that saw Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee-wee Herman, as the voice of Roger Rabbit. Here's just a little sample of that test footage for you. You toned down that goofiness. You want my help, you act like a human. You understand? Oh, yes, sir. But wouldn't it be more helpful if I started to, to, to came along with you, baby? Because what, what, what if maybe you gotta, you gotta get into some, some, some more locks or something? Ah, uh, okay. After the test footage was finished, the project lay dormant as Disney went through a corporate shakeup in 1984, but was revived again in 1985 after Michael Eisner stepped in as CEO. Eisner brought in Steven Spielberg and his Amblin Entertainment to produce the film, who initially approached Terry Gilliam to direct. The Monty Python member seemed like a natural fit, well with his experience in both live-action kids' films, with 1981's Time Bandits, as well as his years working on Python animation shorts. But he turned the project down because he felt it would be too challenging, a decision he has since said he regrets. So Amblin approached once-rejected director Robert Zemeckis. Since his initial interest in 1981, Zemeckis had helmed the box office hit Romancing the Stone, as well as the generation-defining film Back to the Future. So this time, Disney didn't bat an eye adding him to the project as the live-action director. Richard Williams, who handled the animated titles for the Pink Panther films, was brought on as the animation director. With a budget of $30 million, the film was given the green light and production was started in earnest. One of the first things the producers did was secure the rights to a variety of cartoon characters. Disney, of course, allowed the production to use iconic characters like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, but in order to give the film the proper scope and spectacle it needed, Amblin also wanted to use characters like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Popeye, Betty Boop, and Woody Woodpecker. While most copyright holders agreed with little argument or concession, Warner Brothers would only allow the use of their characters if certain criteria were met. I've worked with a lot of wisecrackers, but you are despicable. This is the last time I work with someone with a speech impediment. This means war. For example, in order to use their flagship character Bugs Bunny, Warners demanded that Bugs and Disney's mascot Mickey Mouse have the same amount of screen time. And it's probably why the last moments of the film are Porky Pig telling us that that's all, folks, followed by Tinkerbell hitting him on the snout with her wand as Pixie Dust wipes the screen to cut to the credits. Unfortunately, casting the live-action roles of Roger Rabbit proved to be more challenging. Spielberg initially wanted Harrison Ford to play the part of Private Eye Eddie Valiant, but his asking price was too high, so they went after Bill Murray instead. However, Murray is notorious for being difficult to contact, replacing his agent with a secret 1-800 number whose voicemail he very rarely checks. And so he missed out on the part, simply because they couldn't get in touch with him. Finally, respected British actor Bob Hoskins, best known at the time for his role in the 1986 film Mona Lisa, was given the part and performs it quite, well, valiantly. Eddie's on-again, off-again girlfriend Dolores was played by Joanna Cassidy, best known to film nerds as Zora, the snake-dancing replicant Deckard kills in Blade Runner. And Zemeckis veterans Christopher Lloyd, who worked with the director on Back to the Future, was cast as the villain Judge Doom, as was Kathleen Turner, who starred in Romancing the Stone, 
as the sexy toon starlet Jessica Rabbit. Of course, the most important part was the voice of Roger Rabbit. By 1985, the original voice, Paul Rubens, had not only starred in the wildly successful Pee-wee Herman stage show, but his debut film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, was set to be released in August of that same year. It's unknown if he was even considered for Roger again, or if it was thought that his voice would now be too recognizable for the part. But either way, he wasn't cast as the titular Leibhus. Charles Fleischer was a stand-up comedian working the circuit in the late 1970s when Robert Zemeckis saw him at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles. Fleischer was well known for taking on many different voices and characters in his act, and the performance must have stuck with the young director, because Zemeckis called Fleischer in eight years later to try out for the part of Eddie Valiant. But once they started talking about the film, Zemeckis realized Fleischer would make a much better Roger Rabbit. Fleischer has said that the voice of Roger just sort of evolved naturally, including his p-p-p-p-please speech impediment, as Fleischer looked at the production drawings and read through the script. Even though he wasn't physically in the film, Fleischer was on set nearly every day to read his lines in Roger's voice in order to get a more natural performance out of the other actors. In addition, to help the actors see him as a real character, Fleischer insisted upon wearing a Roger Rabbit costume, including huge floppy ears and giant rabbit feet. Today, the filmmaking techniques for combining animation and live action are fairly standardized. A physical actor wears a lycra bodysuit covered in ping pong balls that act as reference points, and performs the character's actions that will later be rotoscoped by a 3D model. This gives the actors lines of sight to work with, as well as a physical presence that can be touched to give their actions weight. Unfortunately, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was so groundbreaking that none of these techniques had been considered, nor was the digital technology to make it possible even invented yet. Instead, Bob Hoskins had to rehearse his blocking for every scene over and over again. He had help, of course, in the form of life-sized rubber models of Roger and some of the other tunes, so he could get a sense of their weight and body position. But once the cameras were rolling, the model came out and Hoskins was wrestling with the air, trying to repeat what he had just done moments before. Later, animators would go frame by frame and fill in the cartoon character. Sometimes when a tune had to interact with the physical world, animatronic armatures were used to perform these actions. For example, in one scene, Roger is shown repeatedly smashing real dinner plates over his head. To get this effect, a small hydraulic machine was built that could grab plates off of a stack one by one and forcefully bring them up against a metal rod that represented Roger's head. The simple bare-bones armature was later painted over in the animation phase. For some shots, puppeteers above the stage moved physical props on strings, essentially making puppets out of martini shakers and handguns. Later, the animators would use these floating props as references for character actions. Filming and post-production animation on Who Framed Roger Rabbit took a lengthy 14 months. During that time, the film's budget ballooned from $30 million to nearly $70 million. So there was a lot riding on it by the time it was released on June 24, 1988. Luckily, the gamble paid off for Disney, as the film wound up bringing in $156 million at the domestic box office, $329 million worldwide. Believe it or not, but it was only number two at the box office that year, making $20 million less than the number one film, Rain Man. The film would go on to be nominated for six Academy Awards, winning three for Best Film Editing, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Visual Effects, making it the first animated film since 1964's Mary Poppins to win multiple Oscars. Naturally, Disney attempted to cash in on the rabbit's success with three short films that were shown theatrically in conjunction with other Disney films. In 1989, Tummy Trouble ran before Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Roller Coaster Rabbit came out in 1990 before Dick Tracy. And Trail Mix-Up was released in 1993 
with a now mostly forgotten film, A Far Off Place. There was also a Toontown attraction at Disneyland that took inspiration from the film, as well as a number of video games and even two short-lived comic book series. You had plenty money, 
as well as YouTube videos of the 1984 and 1998 test clips, the deleted pig head scene, and the three Roger Rabbit shorts in the show notes over at the website whenyouhearthesound.com. So be sure to check those out after you listen to the 1988 Disney Records production of The Story of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was a face that had been lived in. The chin had taken a few left hooks. The mouth had curled around a chair stale wisecracks. Under the brim of a beat-up fedora, with the dull, flat eyes of a man who used to care. His name was Eddie Valiant, and he was watching a cartoon. It was an Arky Maroon production starring Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman. In the cartoon, a refrigerator had just landed on Roger's head with a crunch. When the refrigerator door swung open, Roger peered out, surrounded by tweeting birds. Cut! A human director stepped onto the movie set. Cut, 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 cut! Roger! What's this? A tweeting bird, a tweeting bird. Roger, read the script. Look what it says. It says, rabbit gets clunked, rabbit sees stars. Not birds, stars! Please, Rose, I can give you stars. Look! Roger hit himself over the head. There were exclamation points, a cuckoo clock, but no stars. Behind the cameras, at the back of the soundstage, Eddie Valiant looked on. He pulled out a flask of whiskey and took a jolt, shaking his head in disgust. Valiant put away the flask and headed upstairs to the office of R.K. Maroon. The studio chief got right to the subject. I'm 25 grand over budget on the latest Baby Herman cartoon. You saw the rabbit blowing his lines. He can't keep his mind in his work. You know why? One too many refrigerators dropped on his head. Ah, he's a tune. You can drop anything you want on his head. He'll shake it off. But break his heart. Goes to pieces just like you or me. Read that. Maroon handed him the morning edition of the Toontown Tattler. Seen cooing over calamari with not-so-new sugar daddy was Jessica Rabbit, wife of Maroon cartoon star Roger. What's this got to do with me? I don't have time for this. Look, Valiant, his wife's poison, but he thinks she's Betty Crocker. I want you to follow her. Get me a couple of nice, juicy pictures I can wise the rabbit up with. Where's she live? I don't know. Toontown, I guess. Forget it. I don't work Toontown. Whoa, fella. You don't want to go to Toontown, you don't have to go to Toontown. Nobody said you had to go to Toontown anyway. The rabbit's wife sings at a joint called the Income Paint Club. Toon Review. Strictly humans only, okay? The job's gonna cost you a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks? That's ridiculous. So's the job. All right, all right, you got your hundred bucks. Maroon wrote out a check and handed it to Valiant. Where's the other 50? Let's call the other 50 a carrot to finish the job. You've been hanging around rabbits too long. Valiant borrowed a camera from his girlfriend, Dolores, and headed for the Ink and Paint Club, where he found a table next to the stage. Sitting behind him, wearing a silly grin and a loud suit, was Marvin Acme. Besides making movie props like whoopee cushions and exploding cigars, Acme was the owner of Toontown. Suddenly, the lights went down, and the curtain parted. Standing in the spotlight was Jessica Rabbit. Valiant was surprised to see that she wasn't a rabbit at all. What she was, was beautiful. You had plenty money, 1922. You let other women make a fool of you. Why don't you do right? 
table where she gazed at him and threw herself into his lap. Slap and slipped behind the curtain. When the lights came up, Marvin Acne got to his feet. He slicked down his hair, picked up a bouquet of roses from the table, and disappeared backstage. Valiant checked to see if anyone was watching and followed him. Behind the curtain, Valiant saw Acme knock on a dressing room door. After a moment, the door opened and Acme went inside. Valiant hurried out the back door into an alley where he peered in the dressing room window. His eyes widened. Then he pulled the camera out of his pocket and began taking pictures. Later that night, in R.K. Maroon's office, Maroon and Valiant watched as Roger Rabbit looked through the photos. I just don't believe it. I won't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Believe it, kid. I took the pictures myself. She played patty cake. Roger took another look. The photos showed Jessica and Acme seated knee to knee, caught in the act of slapping palms. They were playing patty cake. The kitchen of my life. The apple of my eye. The cream of my coffee. Somebody must have made it to it. Now drink this, son. It'll make you feel better. Maroon handed him a drink and Roger emptied the glass in one gulp. <coughs> a moment later, there was a loud rumble and Roger's head turned into a tune-steam whistle. Roger zipped off the desk, crashing through the blinds and out the window. Valiant examined the rabbit-shaped hole in the glass. Well, at least he took it well. Valiant collected the remaining $50 and went back to his office where he fell asleep at his desk. Early the next morning, he was awakened by Lieutenant Santino of the Los Angeles Police Department. Santino informed him there'd huh? been a murder. Huh? Marvin Acme. The rabbit cacked him last night. What? Santino drove him to Acme's gag factory in the heart of Toontown. Inside, among boxes of tomb gags, a large black safe was embedded in the floor. Nearby was a lifeless body of Marvin Acme. Just like a tune to drop a safe in a guy's head. There was a noise behind him. Valiant turned around to see a black-robed figure with the features of a vulture and the chalky complexion of a cadaver. It was Judge Doom. We talked to Mr. Maroon. He told us the rabbit became quite agitated when you showed him the pictures. The rabbit said one way or another, he and his wife are going to be happy. Is that true? Hey, pal, do I look like a stenographer? I'm surprised you're not more cooperative, Mr. Valiant. A human has been murdered by a tune. Don't you appreciate the magnitude of that? Since I've had Toontown under my jurisdiction, my goal has been to rein in the insanity. And the only way to do that is to make tunes with... 
As Judge Doom spoke, a tuned shoe tumbled out of a carton and rubbed up against his leg. Doom picked up the shoe and carried it over to a paddy wagon, where two of his weasel helpers uncovered a large drum of liquid. Valiant turned to Santino. Huh? What's that? Remember how I always thought there wasn't a way to kill a tune? Well, Doom found the way. Turpentine, acetone, benzene. He calls it the dip. I'll catch the rabbit, Mr. Valiant. Then I'll try him, convict him, and execute him. Doom lowered the shoe into the drum where inch by inch it dissolved into nothingness. He held up a paint-stained glove. They're not kid gloves, Mr. Valiant. But this is how we handle things down in Toontown. Later that day, Valiant trudged up the stairs to his office. In the hallway outside his door was a baby carriage. Baby Herman sat inside, puffing on a cigar. Look, Valiant, the rabbit didn't kill Acme. He's not a murderer. I should know. He's a dear friend of mine. I tell you, Valiant, the whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. Look at this. The paper said Acme left no will. That's a lot of sucker dash. Every doom knows Acme had a will. He promised to leave Toontown to us tunes. That will is the reason he got pumped off. Has anybody ever seen this will? Ah, uh, no. But he gave us his solemn oath. If you believe that that joker could do anything solemn, the gag's on you, Valiant pushed the carriage down the hall and unlocked the door to his office. As he tossed the newspaper onto his desk, he noticed something about the photo of Acme. There was a piece of paper sticking out of his back pocket. Valiant got his original copy of the photo and examined it through a magnifying glass. On the paper were the words, The Last Will and Testament of Marvin Acme. Thinking about this new information, Valiant loosened his tie and pulled a retractable Murphy bed out of the wall and flopped down on the bed and rolled over. He found himself nose-to-nose -nose with Roger Rabbit. How did you get in here? Through the mail slot. I thought it would be best if I waited inside. Steady! Get up! Me on. You're making a big mistake. Take your hands off the door, will you? I swear! This whole thing's a setup. A scam, a frame job. Okay, okay, sure. I admit it. I got a little hot under the collar when I first thought I'd pick the Debbie. So I rushed over to the Yankees. But she wasn't in the dressing room, so I wrote him a love letter. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me, in a fit of jealousy, you wrote your wife a love letter? That's right. I know it. She was just an innocent victim of circumstance. I suppose you use the old lipstick on the mirror routine, huh? Lipstick, yes. Mirror, no. I found a nice, clean piece of paper. Dear Jessica, how do I love thee? Let me count the waves. One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four Why don't you just thousand, leave the letter there? Obviously, a poem of this power and sensitivity must be read in person. So I went home to wait for her. But the weasels were there waiting for me. So, so I ran. So why come to me? Everybody knows when a tune's in trouble, there's only one place to go. Valiant and Valiant. Not anymore. Playfully, Roger picked up a pair of handcuffs and fastened Valiant's wrist to his own. Eddie Valiant, you're under arrest. Yeah. Idiot. I got no keys for these cuffs. There was a screech of tires outside. Roger dragged Valiant to the window. A moment later, five weasels burst into the office. 
They found Valiant at the bathroom sink with his hands in a basin full of suds. Hello, boys. I didn't hear you come in. Okay, wise guy. Where's the rabbit? You mean the rabbit with the orange pants, the big floppy ears, the buck teeth, and the clock hopper feet? Yeah. I haven't seen him. Search the place, boys. And leave no stone in turn. <laughs> the weasels turned the place inside out, finding nothing. Come on, boys. Let's ask. Valiant pulled a waterlogged Roger Rabbit out of the sink. Gone. Gee, pathetic. I was well. You saved my life. How can I ever repay you? Stardust. Don't ever kiss me again. Across the street, Valiant's girlfriend Dolores was serving drinks at the terminal bar when Eddie walked in. There was a mysterious squirming bulge in the sleeve of his trench coat. He discreetly pulled back his sleeve to reveal Roger and the handcuffs. Nodding, Dolores led him to a back room where he pulled a hacksaw out of a tool chest and started sawing. While he worked, he showed Roger and Dolores the snapshot with a big circle drawn around Acme's back pocket. So that's what this little drama's about. Mr. Acme's will. Yeah. Anything I can do? Maybe you can go downtown and check the probate. Yeah, check the probate. What's that? when the courts decide what happens to a dead man's estate. Valiant finished sawing off the handcuffs, then threw him aside and stood up. Can he stay here for a couple of days? Not gonna do anything crazy, is he? I ask you, does he look like he'd do anything crazy? <laughs> Late that night, a meaty fist punched out a window in Jessica Rabbit's dressing room. The window opened and Eddie Valiant climbed silently inside. Using a flashlight, he searched drawers, dressing table, and closet. Finally, in the wastebasket, he found what he wanted. The blue cover of a legal document labeled The Last Will and Testament of Marvin Acme. Eagerly, he pulled it open. The will was gone. As he looked up, he saw a dark shape looming over him. Oh, no. Then he saw stars. When he came to, he was looking up at Judge Doom, Jessica, the Weasels and Bongo, the gorilla security guard. The giant gorilla glowered down at Valiant. Take it easy, Bongo. We'll handle Mr. Valiant our own way. Downtown. Downtown? Fine. Let's get a hold of Santino. I'd be more than happy to go downtown. Oh, I'm not talking about that downtown. I'm talking about downtown. Too. The weasels threw him into the paddy wagon and drove him to an eerie tunnel leading into Toontown. Early the next morning, strange sounds came from the tunnel. Eddie Valiant came rocketing out as if shot from a cannon. There was a burlap sack tied over his head and arms. Behind him, the weasels emerged holding paint cans and brushes. Valiant ripped the sack off, revealing a toon pig painted over his head. Oh, God. Ah! Ah, no! I'm in Toon Road! He went back to his office, scrubbed the pig's head off with turpentine, and showered and dressed. As he came out of the bathroom, he found himself face to face with Jessica Rabbit. You've got the wrong idea about me, Mr. Valiant. I'm a pawn in this, just like Roger. Can you help me find him? Just name your price, and I'll pay it. I bet you would. 
You gotta have the rabbit to make the scam work. No, 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 I love my husband. You've got me all wrong. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. She walked over and hugged him, burying her face in his shoulder. Just then, Dolores walked in through the open door. <clears throat> Dabbling in watercolors, Eddie? <laughs> Goodbye, Eddie. My offer stands firm. Think about it. She blew Valiant a tune kiss that floated across the room and stuck on his cheek. And she sauntered past the smoldering Dolores and out the door. When she was gone, Dolores peeled off the kiss, crumpled it up, and threw it in a wastebasket. Well, do you want to tell me what she was doing with her arms around you? Probably looking for a good place to stick a knife. Oh, come on, Eddie. Dolores, come on. Dolores shook her head angrily and stormed out the door. Valiant was right behind her. Dolores, listen. Listen to me. Look, I want you to go out. I want you to buy yourself a new swimsuit. But you and me are going to Catalina. I'm on the verge of wrapping up this case. No, you're not, Eddie. That's what I came to tell you. I stopped by probate. Maroon's not after Toontown like you thought. It's Cloverleaf that wants to get their hands on Toontown. They put in the highest bid. And unless Mr. Acme's will shows up by midnight tonight, Cloverleaf is going to own Toontown. As she spoke, a faint melody floated toward him from the terminal bar. They raced into the bar where they found Roger Rabbit using the bar as a stage for a song and dance number. Valiant grabbed Roger and hustled him into the back room. Valiant looked through a peephole and saw Judge Doom and the Weasel standing in the bar. I'm looking for a murderer. A toon, Rabbit. About yay. Look, there's no rabbit. So don't harass my customers. Say, boss, you want we should disresemble the place? No, Sergeant. Disassembling the place won't be necessary. The rabbit is going to come right to me. No tune can resist the old shave and a haircut trick. In the back room, Valiant watched with horror as Roger began to shiver and sweat, desperately resisting the urge to give an answering knock. Roger. Roger, no! And a haircut. Roger came bursting through the wall into the bar. Doom snatched him by the ears, grinning. Then he spotted Valiant through the hole in the wall. We'll see to him later. Right now, I feel like an executioner. Bring me some dip. The weasels wheeled in a dip tank. As one of them handed Judge Doom a pair of black rubber gloves, Valiant stepped forward. Hey, Judge! Doesn't a dying rabbit deserve a last request? Yeah, those plugs would be nice. I think you want a drink. 
How about it, Judge? Well, why not? I don't mind prolonging the execution. Ah. Happy trails. No, thanks, Teddy. I'm trying to cut down. Drink the drink. But I don't want the drink. He doesn't want the drink. He does. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. I don't. You don't. I do. Don't. I do. You don't. Listen, when I say I do, that means I do. Suddenly, Roger's head turned into a steam whistle and let out an ear-piercing blast. In the confusion, Valiant grabbed Roger by the ears and raced out of the bar. Boy, Eddie, that was quick thinking. That's not giving the old fine flower, the wise noodle, the smart pudding. Take it easy, look at as they reached the street, Roger spotted a shiny yellow tuned taxi cab shut inside the squad wagon. Penny, is that you? No, it's Alan and Roosevelt. Come on, Roger, get me out of here. Penny, we got ourselves a ride. Open the doors. Ah, that's better. I can't believe they locked me up for driving on a sidewalk. Come on, Eddie, get in. His tires squealing, Benny the cab roared off in a cloud of tomb dust. The weasels piled into the squad wagon and lurched off in pursuit. After a wild chase, Benny eluded them and pulled up in front of a movie theater, where he let his passengers out. Eddie and Roger ducked inside the theater, taking seats in the back row of the balcony. On the screen, a cartoon was just ending. Everyone in the audience howled with laughter, except Eddie Valiant. <laughs> Is there nothing that can permeate your impervious puss? Hey, Eddie! Boy, nothing. What could have possibly happened to you to turn you into such a sourpuss? You want to know? I'll tell you. A tune killed my brother. A tune? No. That's right. A tune. We were investigating a robbery at the First National Bank of Toontown. Back in those days, me and Teddy liked working in Toontown. We thought it was a lot of laughs. Anyway, this guy got away with a zillion zimoleons. We trailed into a little dive down on Yoxa Street. We went in. He got to drop on us, literally. Dropped a piano on us from 15 stories. Broke my arm. Teddy never made it. I never did find out who that guy was. All I remember was he was standing over me laughing with those burning red eyes that high squeaky voice. He disappeared into Toontown after that. Nobody ever saw him again. Well, that's the story. I suppose you'd think that's funny, too. <laughs> no, Eddie. No wonder you hate me. If a toon killed my brother, I'd hate me, too. <laughs> Come on, don't cry. 
cry. I don't hate you. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You do hate me. Otherwise, you wouldn't have yanked my ears all those times. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. Just then, someone slipped into the seat next to Valiant. It was Dolores. Did she get all my stuff? Yes. It's all packed up in the car outside. Would have been here right after you called, but I had to shake the weasels. The newsreel came on, and they got up to leave. California, Cloverleaf. I'm glad Teddy's not here to see me running away with my tail between my legs. It's not so bad, once you get used to it. The Pacific Red Car Trolley Line and the venerated Maroon Cartoon Studios. Here, R.K. Maroon is seen clinching the deal with Cloverleaf's bankers and execs in one of the biggest real estate deals ever in California history. That's Three it! Three and a half billion dollars for a map factory. That's the connection! That's no joke. Connection? What connection? Maroon doesn't want to buy Toon Town. He wants to sell his studio. But Cloverleaf wouldn't buy the one without the other. That's why Maroon killed Acme. What? Why don't you see? Maroon Studios is right next to the Acme factory, which is right next to Toon Town. Let's figure this Cloverleaf outfit has plans for the whole piece of property. What are they going to do with it? There's only one guy that knows, and I'm going to make him tell me. Uh, came Maroon, please. Eddie Valiant. Eddie, he's not going to want to talk to you. Oh, he's going to talk. Mr. Maroon, Eddie Valiant. You got a bromo handy? Later that evening, a car drove through the gates of Maroon Studios with its lights out. The car stopped, and Eddie Valiant emerged. Roger Rabbit was next to him. You told Maroon that you had the will, and you don't. But he finds out he's gonna be mad. He might try to kill you. I can handle a Hollywood cream puff. I just don't want the odds to change. So you cover my back. And if you hear or see anything, beat the horn twice. Valiant disappeared into the building while Roger paced nervously beside the car. That's it. Beat the horn twice. Cover your back. Boy, I'm ready. Took's up. I've peeled ears to the ground. Why nobody gets a drop on Roger Rabbit? A tune frying pan came crashing down on his head. Upstairs, R.K. Maroon looked up and saw Valiant walk into his office. You got the will? Sure. I got the will. Question is, do you have the way? Because I can tell you now it ain't gonna come cheap. Let me see that will. I told you I got it. I wanna see it now! How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. This is supposed to be a joke? No, this. Get up. What are you going to do to me, Valiant? I'm going to listen to you spin the clothes scenario. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! The truth is, I had a chance to sell my studio, but Cloverleaf wouldn't buy my property unless Acme sold him his. So I was going to blackmail Acme with pictures of him and the rabbit's wife. Blackmail, that's all. I've been around Toons all my life. I didn't want to see him destroyed. Toons destroyed? Why? As Maroon opened his mouth to speak, a gun poked through the open window and shots rang out. Maroon crumpled to the floor. Valiant hurried to the window and saw Jessica Rabbit running across the parking lot. Valiant raced out of the building. He jumped into his car and followed Jessica's packard through the Toontown Tunnel. He lost sight of her somewhere in Toontown, but a few minutes later, spotted the packard parked near an alley. 
drew his gun and went in. As he moved deeper into the shadows, a figure stepped forward. It was Jessica Rabbit, and she was holding a gun. I always knew I'd get it in tune, Tom. Behind you! She pulled the trigger, but Valiant was left standing. Behind him, a gun clattered to the ground. Drop it, lady! I just saved your life and you still don't trust me? I don't trust anybody or anything. Not even your own eyes? That's the gun that killed R.K. Maroon, and Doom pulled the trigger. Doom! I followed him to the studio, but I was too late to stop him. As they hurried out of the alley, Jessica stopped short and stared. The trunk of her Packard was open, and the car was a wreck. Oh, no. Where's Roger? Roger? He chickened out on me back in the studio. No, he didn't. I hit him on the head with a frying pan and put him in the trunk so he wouldn't get hurt. Makes perfect sense. We're obviously not going anywhere in my car. Let's take yours. I got a feeling somebody already did. He pointed to the spot where his car had been parked. The only thing left was a trail of destruction leading down the street and around the corner. From the looks of it, I'd say it was Roger. My honey bunny was never very good behind the wheel. Uh-oh. It's the weasels. This way. We'll take Gingerbread Lane. No, no! Gingerbread Lane's this way! When Valiant stuck out his thumb, there was a rubber-burning screech as Benny the Cab appeared. So, Valiant, you call a cab or what? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Allow me, mademoiselle. They climbed in, and Benny rocketed off down the street, scattering weasels in every direction. Before poor Marvin Acme was killed, he confided in me that Doom wanted to get his hands on Toontown, and he wouldn't stop at anything. So he gave me the will for safekeeping? That's what he told me, except when I opened the envelope, there was only a blank piece of paper inside. <laughs> the joke is to the end. So where to already? My maid is right. I have to find my darling husband. I'm so worried about him. Seriously? What do you see in that guy? He makes me laugh. Meanwhile, at the other end of the Toontown tunnel, a black boot kicked over a ten-gallon drum, spilling dip across the road. Judge Doom looked on, smiling, as Benny came flying out of the tunnel. Benny's tires started smoking, then dissolved. He spun out of control and went crashing into a lamppost, throwing Valiant and Jessica onto the dirt. Judge Doom grabbed him, threw him into his car, and sped off into the night. Later, inside Acme's gag factory, Doom had the weasel search Valiant and Jessica for the will. When it didn't turn up, he looked at the clock. I doubt if that will is going to show up in the next 15 minutes, anyway. What happens in the next 15 minutes? Toontown will be legally mine, lock, stock, and barrel. Across town, Roger emerged from Toontown Tunnel, driving a beat-up wreck that used to be Valiant's car. Benny, is that you? No, it's Charlie Temple! Ah! Oh! Jumping jeepers, what happened? Ah! Doom grabbed your wife and Valiant and took them to the Acme factory! The Acme factory? I know what that is! Get in! Move over, Raj! You've done enough driving for one night! At the factory, Judge Doom explained his plan to Valiant. I'm retiring take a new role in the private sector. I won't be Cloverleaf Industries by any chance, huh? <laughs> You're looking at the sole stockholder. As he spoke, the weasels were milling around a crane, a steamroller, and other construction equipment, all marked with a large green clover leaf. Nearby, a huge modified tanker truck had been mounted with a giant spray gun. Oh, my God! That's right, my dear! Enough to get Toontown off the face of the earth! Vehicle of my own design! 5,000 gallons of heated dip, pumped 
at enormous velocity through a pressurized water cannon. Toontown will be erased in a matter of minutes. Outside the factory, Roger Rabbit was listening through a window where Benny the Cab had dropped him off a few minutes earlier. When he heard the judge's plan, he pulled out his gun, took a deep breath, and dove headfirst into the plumbing. On the floor of the factory, Jessica faced Judge Doom. I suppose you think no one's going to notice Toontown's disappeared? Who's got time to wonder what happened to some ridiculous talking mice when you're driving by at 75 miles an hour? What are you talking about? There's no road past Toontown. Not yet. Several months ago, I had the good providence to stumble upon a plan of the city councils. A construction plan of epic proportions. We're calling it a freeway. Suddenly, Roger exploded out of a floor drain, sending the weasels flying. He landed on his feet and leveled his gun at Judge Doom. Okay, nobody move. All right, weasels, grab some sky and let the judge have it. You heard me, I said drop it. Roger, die! Yes, it's me, my dearest. I'd love to embrace you, but first, I have to satisfy my sense of moral Put action. that gun down, you buck-toothed fool! Stop it, Doom! Give me another excuse, I'll pump you full of lead. High in the rafters, one of Doom's helpers pushed a huge pile of bricks into place directly over Roger's head. We tools may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. We demand justice. Why, the real meaning of the word probably hits you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Roger! Roger, say something. Look, stars! Ready when you are, Raul. <laughs> Tyler, love birds together. Judge Doom nodded toward Valiant. <laughs> I don't want his two friends get dipped and shoot him. Doom turned and walked out the door. A few minutes later, Roger and Jessica were suspended beneath a giant crane directly in front of the dip sprayed gun. As the weasels prepared to open fire, Valiant found himself pushed up against an old calliope. He elbowed a button on the front, and the calliope began playing a familiar tune. The weasels watched in amazement as Valiant launched into an impromptu performance. Now Roger is his name. Laughter is his game. Come on, you dope, untie his rope and watch him go insane. The weasels began giggling, then laughing, then howling hysterically. Jessica turned to Roger. He's lost his mind. I don't think so. Hey, Daddy, keep it up. You're killing him. You're slaying him. You're knocking him dead. And that's exactly what was happening. The spectacle of this human acting like a tomb was too much for the weasels to bear. One by one, they literally died laughing. The weasel manning the spray gun collapsed on the trigger, sending a spray of dips sweeping toward Roger and Jessica. Daddy, hurry, it's coming back! Valiant raced toward the truck, dove and knocked the spray gun to the side. As he did, a shadow descended over him. Judge Doom had returned. Doom started the steamroller and pushed Valiant toward it. In desperation, Valiant reached for a can of Acme State put adhesive and held it up in front of him. The judge put his fist right through it, then drew back and sent another punch flying. Valiant ducked. Doom's fist hit the steamroller and stuck, pulling the judge under the huge rolling drum. But instead of being crushed, the judge was rolled flat as a pancake. One edge curled up, and the whole shape peeled off the floor and wobbled to its feet. He's a tomb! Surprise? Not really. That lame brain freeway idea could only be cooked up by a tomb. Not just any tomb! Doom staggered to an oxygen tank, stuck the valve in his mouth, and reinflated himself. 
His glasses cracked, his teeth shattered, and his false eyeballs popped out, revealing evil red tooth eyes. turned into a buzzsaw, and he bore down on Valiant. Eddie looked around in desperation, and his gaze came to rest on one of Acme's spring-loaded boxing gloves. He grabbed it, pointed, and pulled the trigger. A glove accordion of punching a release lever on the dip truck. A flood of dip gushed out of the valve and rolled in a giant wave toward Doom. This time, there was no escape. Judge Doom dissolved like a melted candle. Valiant lowered Roger and Jessica to the ground and untied them. Jessica threw her arms around her husband. My hero. Oh, honey bunny. Oh, love him. Oh, Roger, you were a pillar of strength. As they embraced, the door opened, and Benny the Cab charged in, followed by Dolores, Baby Herman, Lieutenant Santino, and several other cops. Valiant gave Dolores a big hug, then looked down at the stain on his shirt. Think. Roger picked up a bottle of ink off Marvin's desk and read the label. Here's your answer, Eddie. Acme disappearing, reappearing ink. Boy, that Acme, what a genius! Applesauce! If he was such a genius, why didn't he leave his will where we could find it? Without it, we're just waiting for another developer's wrecking ball. Roger, that love letter you wrote to your wife in the Ink and Paint Club, why don't you read it to him now? Sure, Eddie. Jessica, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love Acme, a star mind and body. It's the real. Do we hereby bequeath in perpetuity the property known as Toontown to those lovable characters, the Toons? Later, Roger and Jessica. Eddie and Dolores walked arm in arm out of the factory. Do you think Toontown will still be around in, say, the next 30 or 40 years? Yeah, Toontown will always be around. If you know where to look for it. Hey, Eddie, that was a pretty funny dance you did for the weasels. Do you think your days of being a sourpuss are over? Only time will tell. Yeah, well, put it there, pal. <laughs> Don't tell me you lost your sense of humor already. Does this answer your question? Hey, Eddie, can you promise me just one little thing? What's that, kid? Don't ever kiss me on the lips again! <laughs>